Hello, my name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. I do some of the teaching. And uh, I've realized uh, with some of my illustrations, there's one small problem. People listening on podcasts have no idea what's going on. So let me just describe real quick. I'm in an 11 inch by 14 inch box. And I'm here because I think this is how we live our lives. Not saying that in a judgmental way. I just, just matter of factly, I think this is what happens. Uh, we're raised a certain way. We develop certain thoughts, certain um, emotional responses, ways of dealing with the world, groups of friends that we have that we're comfortable with, and we create a pattern for living. And we're really comfortable inside that pattern. And we repeat it all over. I mean, we, this is just how we live. And we don't even think about it anymore. And, and the problem is, this is really restrictive. You can become stagnant here. And some of you might be like, no, 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 I kind of like the way I live. Listen, um, there's one problem. If you're anything like me, and I think you are, I'm not perfect. And I suspect you aren't either. And so if you become, like, feeling pretty good about this situation for yourself, you probably also have accepted some stuff that's not great in your life. That's just the way it is. You're just kind of bound by this. This is how you live your life. Now, the reason we're having this conversation, we're in a series called Happy, Healthy, and Wise. And what we've been looking at is how God has designed you, created us to be. He has some things in mind for us that if we'll listen to his instruction, it's not about God controlling us. It's about getting in the flow with how he designed us to be so that we could have happy, healthy, and wise lives. And in this case, what God has in mind is that we would consider doing something like this. All right. Spry like a cat. I've now made it into a box that's 11 inches by 17 and a half inches. And it's pretty nice. I can move around in here. I can turn. I can do all kinds of stuff. It's good. What I just illustrated for you is this idea of growing. Getting past what you were raised with, getting past who you are right now, growing deeper with the character that you started with, becoming something more, where your box expands and what you have going on in your life is different. Now, here's, here's the um, bad news. What I just showed you is kind of exactly how it works the majority of the time. And that's not happy news for most of us in our culture because those of us in our culture want big change fast and we want it now, right? We want to decide that we're going to be a different person and we want it to show up quickly. But for the vast majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, this is how it works. You get to go from a 14-inch box to a 7.5-inch box. You make a small incremental step. And over time, that small incremental step, you decide to make another one. It, listen, if you looked around your life, you would see that this is how it works for everything that you can look. Schoolwork. You don't suddenly become a math genius. You start with the basics and then you work up and then you find yourself eventually doing calculus. It works this way with sports. 
It works this way with music. It works this way with your job or a skill that you want to acquire. You build it up over time. And what people have found is that if this is the way it works, that it would probably be helpful to be disciplined in your approach to growing. Like, if I know this is what it takes, then I'm going to be disciplined in how I go about getting this done. And, and I think it's a pretty wise decision. It's a pretty wise choice. Here, here's the thing. This works, this kind of disciplined approach to growing works with almost everything that you'll see in this world. You decide, I'm going to really do this. I'm going to set my mind to it. I'm going to work. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to keep at this. Somebody's going to hold me accountable. And I end up in a different box, incrementally smaller or incrementally bigger box, but still a bigger box. It works for almost everything except for one thing. One thing is kind of outside of that, and that's relationships. Relationships uh, don't follow this formula. It might be that you need to do some stuff inside your relationship to make things better, and that's wise, that's good. But generally speaking, it takes two people who are doing the work together for relationships to develop. It's just how, it's how it works. And I bring this up because what I want to talk to you about is the kind of growing um, that, again, I think you were designed for. I think you were made for this. I think you were made for all kinds of growing, but I think you were made for spiritual growth. You were made to grow to be a different person, to see your character change, to take on different attitudes, all of that sort of stuff. But here's something that you might have missed along the way. Uh, for many followers of Jesus, they've accepted that it takes discipline, and so they've started to do these practices in a disciplined sort of way, and they've missed this. I want to read it to you. This is Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who's working in you? God. Which means this is a relationship. That's what's going on. You're actually developing a relationship with God. And for some reason, what's happened is we think that if we just follow the right spiritual practices, that's good enough. But there's plenty of history, church history, that shows people have done that. They've done spiritual practices in attempt to look and appear spiritual to everybody else, and they've been unkind and mean and as far from God as you can be, but they were doing the right things. And there were others who did the same practices, but they did it with a different motive and a different understanding. I wish, I wish we had this understanding because I think your relationship, your growth with God um, is far closer to farming than anything else. Think of it this way. If you want to have a crop, if you want to have any shot at having a crop, there's some things that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to till the land. You're going to have to plant some seeds. You're going to have to fertilize it. You're going to have to put some stuff on there for weed control. You're going to have to deal with pests and animals and keeping them out of the field. You're going to have to do all of those things if you'll ever have a shot at getting a crop. Here's the thing. You could do all of that work and still not get a crop. Why? Because it has to rain. Did you hear that rain? 
It has to rain, right? And there's nothing you can do to make that happen. And that's the kind of stuff that happens in our life. You can do all kinds of things and probably should because if you want to get a crop, you're going to have to do it. But there's no guarantee. The reason you do this stuff is because it offers God an opportunity to foster growth in your life. Not guaranteed, but it's an option. Like this could happen for you if you practice this way. The problem is when we look at it with, well, if I do this and I don't have the guarantee, why would I do this? That, that same question gets asked by farmers all the time. Why am I doing this? Right? I, I suspect their answer is the same as ours. They're doing it because they love farming. And we do it because we love God. We find a way to open ourselves up to this process of growth where God does the growing. But we, we're responsible for doing a bunch of stuff that opens our lives up for it to happen. And when we don't do the stuff that we need to, we get stuck in our box and we don't change. Now this morning, um, I'm, I'm doing something I rarely do. I, I'm gonna have a whole bunch of content without a lot of practical stuff. I don't tend to like to do that, but here's my problem. For thousands of years, followers of Jesus have found um, there are certain practices that they could do in a disciplined way that would open them up for God coming into their life and changing them. There's, it's a handful of them, and I don't know which one you need to hear about right now. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go fast I, um, I, I was told by my wife, you're going too fast. I was 10 minutes over, right? That's as fast as I can go. It's going to go as fast as I can, and, but we have a plan. So just hang with me because I'm going to give you a lot of stuff to think about. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you what we thought about that's going ha- to help you make this be practical eventually, okay? But w- what we're going to talk about is practices that have been around a long time. I'm going to steal Uh, from a guy who wrote a book called Celebration of Disciplines. This book was written in 1978. It's an older book, but he went back and he looked at church history. He looked at the scriptures, the lives of people in the scriptures, and he found that there were certain practices that just kept popping up in the lives of people who followed after Jesus that when they did these things, it gave God the opportunity to step into your life and to help you grow, which you were designed to do. You were designed to become more than what you are right now. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you through those, and we're going to go fast. Um, There's 12. And fortunately for you, I also messed up the slides so that you're only going to get to see three in each category. Yay! So I'll try to remember to tell you what the fourth is so you can write it down. Uh, On your table right now or in your chairs, there's a little piece of paper. This could help you. Um, If you like to take notes, it'll help you follow along so you know what's going on. Um, Foster broke these down into three categories. There's internal things that you can do. There's external things that you can do. And there's things that we can do as a corporate body. And I hope you'll take notes. There'll be one line where you can write down the idea. On the other line, there's a section of scripture. But I want you to understand that scripture is the tip of the iceberg. There there are countless scriptures um, that deal with all of these sorts of things. So I want you just to be open to these ideas. I want you to hear about them. And then at the end, 
um, I'll help you uh, figure out what you can do about them practically, okay? So we're going to start uh, with the internal ones. Ugh. And we're going to start in Joshua. So uh, in Joshua 1.8, he's going to talk about meditation. I want to read this to you first. It says, um, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. This idea of meditation, the church has wrestled with for a long time. People have been nervous about it because it sounds like this Eastern thing. Well, um, we come out of a Middle Eastern religious background. The Jews were Middle Eastern. And so it's not surprising that they would have that kind of stuff in their background. And in fact, the scripture that I just read you, God said, I want you to meditate. They only had the Torah at the time because I want you to digest this. I want you to think about this. I want you to process on this. I want you to take this with you into your day. This is something that you can do anywhere. It might be that you're trying to understand something, and so you decide, I'm going to read the same section of Scripture for the next 30 days, and I'm going to keep talking to God about this, and I'm going to keep wrestling with this, and I'm going to ask him what that means for my life, and you soak in it. And you meditate. This is one of my favorites. I love to do this, but it's because I process things. And so it really feeds into something that I would do well. So meditation. I don't know if you've practiced it or not, but that's number one. Okay? Number two is back in Philippians. says this. This is verse 6 of chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The second practice is prayer. Uh, people have had a hard time with this at times because they think there's a right way to pray. If you know how to talk with a friend, you know how to pray. Prayer is a conversation with God. This is all it takes. You talking, um, you asking, you sharing, you revealing, you listening. It's a conversation. It literally happens like that. And there's no right way to do it. If, if it just starts with you talking to God about what's happening in your life, that would be great. Um, in a disciplined way, that might look like you shutting off the radio on your way home from work and just telling God what's going on, what's happening with your life, and unloading that stuff at work, from work. It, look, people might see you, but they're just going to think you're singing, right, or talking on your phone. It doesn't matter. But you found a way to start talking, to engage with God, okay? Prayer, that's the second one that's internal. Okay, the third one that's internal, this one's not going to seem like it's internal um, until you understand how Jesus talks about it. Fasting, write down fasting. You're like, hey, that's going without food. That seems like a physical external thing. Listen, this is what Jesus said. He's talking to his disciples. He says this, when you fast, because he assumes they will, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Their motives behind fasting was it so people would know how awesome they were. Okay? But he said, but not you. But when you fast, because he assumes they will, put oil on your head. Wash your face. Why? Why am I doing this? So that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is not about finding a way to make sure everybody knows what you're seeking. 
This is the thing between you and God that's happening internally. You're trading something that you want or need for something that you want or need more. So you go without a meal. You need a meal, but you go without that meal because what you need more is to hear from God. And every time your stomach grumbles because you went without food or you think, I'm hungry, you turn your focus back to God. You turn your focus back and you say, I really want to talk to you about this thing that I don't understand. I really need to hear from you on this. I really need to get some peace on this situation. And you give up something that you need or want for something you need or want more. It could be anything. Right? I've, I know people who've given up complaining. Apparently there's some people who really like to complain. Right? They enjoy that. But when they stopped, when they would catch themselves, they would then turn it and think about God. You could give up. Netflix. I know, I just said it, right? Yeah. Or you could give up time on your cell phone. <laughs> Shut up, Blair. I will end you. Wait. It's just an idea. Relax, okay? I'm just saying it could be anything. It could be anything that you value, but because you have this desire to have God engaged more with your life, you give it up for a time so that you could refocus your energy and effort. Fasting, okay? It's a good one. Um, we're going to go to the, uh, the last one. Again, fasting is this internal thing. People do not need to know what you're doing, and you, don't, you could do it anytime. You could do it anywhere. Now, this next one is a little more difficult and will be confusing to people because of how we tend to practice it. The last one is study. We tend to do this in groups, but this, again, is about this relationship that you have between you and God. Listen to what 2 Timothy says about this. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one, as one approved. Who are you presenting yourself to? To God, right? So this is about you and God. Uh, a worker who does, not, who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I've, I've done this work in study so that it can change my life. Listen, if you do a study... And at the end of that study, the only thing that you can say is, I know more. You've not gone far enough. Uh, the scriptures tell us that knowledge is the beginning of wisdom. So you actually need knowledge. It's not a bad thing. It's helpful. But it's supposed to turn into something that changes you, adjusts your heart, changes your way of thinking or acting. And study is that thing where you've opened yourself up to God to move you. And it's about the relationship. So it is an internal thing that happens, even if you practice it with a group of people, okay? So, so far, we've got the internal. The last one that probably wasn't on the screen was study, okay? Uh, second category is external. These are a little harder. Uh, the study was going to require your time, but the other three, you can work into your life. The course of your life, you could do those. These, um, these are going to take something from you. They're going to cost you something. Um, but they'll be worth it in the end. Let me, let me give you the first one. Uh, this is Matthew 16, 33. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about all the temporal needs that they're going to need in order to do ministry. And he looked at him and said, I really wish you wouldn't worry about that stuff. I'm going to take care of that stuff. I want you to focus on more important things. And through history... People have read this and understand other things that have been said about stuff. And they've concluded, I should probably live a life of simplicity. For some people, um, what that has meant is they've 
taken vows of poverty. The scriptures don't require that, but based on this idea that simple would be better, that collecting more stuff doesn't help your soul at all, they've unloaded that. Um, this is, by the way, this was popular way before the whole tiny house movement, right? That's come into vogue in our culture where people have said, man, if I could live simply, that would be better. That, that has been around for ages where we've concluded more stuff isn't what I need. Maybe for you that means you decide I'm not going to go shopping for anything that I don't absolutely need right now. Or I'm going to take some stuff out of my life and give it to goodwill. And I'm not going to replace it because I need to live more simply. But you make a choice to simplify your life. Again, you're doing it with a motive to connect with God instead of being full of all of the stuff that you would have. Okay, so simplicity, uh, first um, external one. The second external one, Jesus is with his disciples. His ministry is booming. People are coming to him. They're flocking to him. And he says this to his disciples. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Write the word solitude down. Write the word solitude down. When I turned 50, I went to a, a hermitage up in Michigan. If you need a place to go, I can show you where to go. You're not allowed to talk while you're there. It was awesome. Um, I ate a meal with a bunch of people I didn't know. Didn't have to talk with them. It was beautiful. It was awkward, though, you know, eating and looking at them. I spent the morning and the afternoon in quiet. I went out into the woods, sat around. It was, it was great. I, will, I, I confess this to the first service, so I guess I'll tell you guys the truth, too. I did find the only place on the whole property that had a cell signal, and I did text some people, okay? Couldn't do it, right? I was like, oh, look, cell signal. I'm going to... Solitude. It's just not something that we're used to. And in fact, most of you would look at your lives and go, I don't know if that's even possible. I don't know if I can even pull that off. It may be why you need solitude. Look, if Jesus, who wasn't in a wired world, thought it was wise for him and his disciples to go somewhere and to be quiet and to have some silence and solitude, maybe you should consider it for your life too. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. But it's an external thing. Solitude. Okay, uh, third one on the list. Let's bring up Galatians 5, if you would. I'm just going to do that one off the screen since we've talked about it. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Two weeks ago, we talked about serving. You were designed by God to serve. Here's the thing. It's not just good because you were designed by God for it. It opens up your life for growth. When you put yourself in a position to serve other people, growth can come out of that. And so serving should make it on the list. Again, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to give some time up in order to do something like that. Um, the next one, uh, the last one here, is in James chapter 4. Uh, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want you to write this word down. It's probably not going to be on on the screen. So write the word submission. Submission. Uh, what followers of Jesus have realized over thousands of years is sometimes you don't need more knowledge. God's given you instructions. He's made it very clear what he wants from your life. And the problem has uh, been that you've just decided you didn't want to do that. And followers of Jesus who've realized I know what God's asking for me. 
I guess I'm going to have to approach this in a disciplined way and start submitting to what he wants for my life, have found results of growth because they've opened themselves up for God to come in and say, this is what I wanted from you in the first place. This is what I've been asking for you. Just submit to me. Just do what I've asked you to do. Don't go study more. Practice what you know I've wanted from your life. Okay, so that's the fourth one. That was, that's all external stuff. Again, this is, that's going to be difficult. Now, the last ones are uh, in a category called corporate. And they're there because God put us together for a reason. There are things that he, when he formed the church and said, I want to make a body, one of those was that we together could grow in ways that you can't without each other. You were designed for growth. You were designed to be together. And they sometimes come out in a combination. And we're going to see that. Um, we're going to put Psalm 96 or 95.6 up on the screen. And we talked about this one last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That, that desire to worship God with your whole life, but also finding ways to express that to him as something that people have practiced for a long period of time because it opens you up for God to move you, change you, cause you to think differently. On November 30th, it's a Friday night at 7 o'clock up in the flat, we're going to do a worship night. I would love for you to come out for an hour and to just put yourself in that place where God might meet with you during that time. Okay, so that's a corporate body. There's just something that happens together that can't happen on our own. The second corporate, this one is hard. This is James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray to each other so that you may be healed. Confession. Uh, the components of confession make this a stretching thing for anybody who's willing to practice it. It means that you've been willing to look at something in your life and go, that's not, that's not helpful, or I've made a bad choice, or I harmed this person, sometimes intentionally, and you humble yourself to go to that person. That practice of humility is really hard. But it's not just that you've humbled yourself to ask for an apology. Uh, many times what you'll find is that somebody's going to give you forgiveness. And to receive that grace from somebody that you've wronged changes you. There, there is something beautiful about it. I, um, we're not Catholic, so we don't have a booth where you come and make that a practice. This is about you choosing to go to the people that you've hurt or you've held a grudge against or you've wronged and you just tell them the truth. And putting that truth out into open has a way of changing who you are. It opens your life up. By the way, choosing not to do that basically shuts down God's ability to move you. I know I've done something wrong. I don't care. I'm not going to do anything about it. And God says, how can I change? How can I direct your life when you decide to respond that way? So confession becomes this thing that we do in community. Really hard, really valuable. Third one that makes it on the corporate list. Again, believing that God put us together for a reason. There are some things that can be accomplished together that's better than if you're alone. And one of those is this. Um, if God has purpose and meaning for your life, sometimes it's hard to figure that out and get to that. But if you'll find, um, if you'll go to Acts chapter one, you can write that down as the reference. 
The disciples are by themselves. Jesus has um, gone back up into heaven, and they are gathered together seeking some level of guidance for what their next step is. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And um, they found that together, praying for guidance, that's the word I want you to write down, guidance, allowed them an opportunity in corporate setting to let God move a group to confirm something together. See, that's really helpful when you have something going on in your life and you can go to your family, you can go to your friends and you can say, pray with me so I have clarity on this. Pray with me so that I have some peace on this. And you join with a community of people who are asking for guidance. It's also helpful for you to be able to go to somebody who's like-minded and following Jesus and say, I'm facing this in life right now. Can you give me your insight? How would you deal with this? How would you think about this? And God works through his people to help bring some guidance to our lives. So again, that's a corporate thing that people have practiced for thousands of years. Now, the last one that's not gonna be on the screen, but it's really important, is the word celebration. Write down celebration. It's gonna seem like, really? Is that one? Well, um, listen to this. This is Psalm 126.3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. This uh, sense that um, you stop and reflect and understand what God's done and your response is celebration is actually a value. There were, there were practices in Israel where they would actually go out and celebrate like a whole week at a time where they intentionally said, we gotta make this a priority. We gotta do this sort of thing. And so these kind of practices have been done. If you look in the scriptures, the lost prodigal, the lost sheep, the lost coin. How do every one of those stories end? Party. Where people are called in to celebrate that once was lost is now found, let's celebrate. And th this is not something that we do well in our culture. At least for me, I don't know about you, but generally when I do something, even if it went well, you know what I'm thinking about? That one thing I could have done better. And it consumes my time and my energy. And, and it kind of ruins and spoils this opportunity that I had to look at God and say, you were good to me. I want to thank you for that. And there is something about a corporate sense of worship, of celebration for what God's done that's valuable. Now, here's, what, here's the thing. Uh, I want you to take and look at that list that you've been writing out. You can do this mentally. You can do this with a pen, um, but I think this will be helpful. I want you to identify the one that you just really love. Like, I think I'm pretty good at that one. Encircle it or, again, note it in your mind. Th that one, this one discipline, I've got that one pretty good. Now, let me tell you this. That's not the one you need to focus on, right? That's part of your box already. You did good. Like, you, you've worked that into your life, that create some opening for God to move and change you, but there's a whole other set of practices that God would have you consider. Which one? I, I don't know. It depends on where you're at, what's going on in your life. So here's what we've got. Here's what we got for you. At the end of this service, when you leave, we've prepared um, a 36-day devotional. It takes all, all 12 of these practices, and it gives three days to each. And it'll be a little devotional thing where you can either practice it or think about it, but you'll have an opportunity to really kind of step into each one of those over the course of 36 days. 
At the end of that, on the back of that devotional, there's a reflection sheet where it's going to ask you to consider which one of these do you think you need in your life right now? Don't circle the one that you already have worked into your box. Figure out the one that you need to start being disciplined to practice because you want to open yourself up for God to grow you because you were made for that. And then once you've identified that, January, February, and March, do something about it. Practice that. Tell a friend, this is the one I'm going to be disciplined with. This is how I want to do this. And hold each other accountable and start taking some steps. Does it guarantee you're going to grow? No. But it opens your heart up to say, listen, God, I love you. And because of that, I'm going to do some things that allow you to grow me. Here's my offering to you. Have at it. That's, that's your assignment. Because there's so many. You can't do all 12 of these right now. That's the, I'm going to make a big change in my life and everything's going to be great. Small incremental step. Take a small incremental step. Work one into your life. Start seeing the value of it. Then move to the next one. And over time, what God does with these is he turns you into somebody who's a more mature believer. And then when you're a more mature believer, he makes you a deeper follower of his. It doesn't ever stop. He's always developing you more and more. Uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to practice one of the corporate celebrations together. If you're involved with communion, if you can make your way forward. This is one of those things where we get to celebrate together what God's done for us. There's a sense of celebration about um, how communion started. Jesus was at a Passover meal with his disciples. And he knew he was about to change everything. Uh, the old sacrificial system was about to go away. It was going to be replaced by him. He was going to give his body one sacrifice for good for all. All you had to do was accept that. And he wanted them to remember and find a way to practice being grateful, to celebrate with each other. And so he took some bread and he broke it. And he looked at them. And he said, guys, this is my body broken for you. Take. And I, th I think he was at a triclinium. It's the kind of table they would have had for a group like that. I think he walked around and he looked them each in the eye. And he offered them a chance to take that bread, understanding that his body was going to be broken. And then there was a cup at the table. This would have been passed by the disciples. They would all drank out of it. And uh, as they did that, Jesus said, that's, that's my blood shed for you. Now, these were not Jesus' blood. That's not his body. These were, these were representations of the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. You can go ahead and serve them. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to finish serving them communion. Then we're going to put a, uh, somebody down on this side underneath the screen. Somebody's going to cross over and go on that side of the screen. They're gonna, somebody's going to be there with the bread. And you're going to walk up to them. And you're going to tear some of that bread off. And look them right in the eye. And they're going to say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Then you're going to go to the next person. They're going to have the cup. And you're going to dip that bread in the cup. And they're going to say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then you can take that right there. 
You can take it back to your table. I don't care what you do when you want to do that. But I want there to be a time of reflection where you're expressing your gratitude to God that he rescued you. There's nothing that you could do. He changed the whole system and he did it for you. There'll be some music playing in the background. You can listen to that. You can pray. At some point, you'll be asked to stand and join in. And I want you to understand this is an opportunity for a corporate celebration to express our gratitude to God for what he's done on our behalf. On this side of the stage over here, Tracy will have some gluten product, gluten-free product. So if you need that, there's an opportunity for you to have that as well. As soon as they get in place, I invite you to come forward and take part of communion.